0: Tfm. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is... Ready to boldly go, his shirt says today, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I've got great news for you. Perfect timing with football season about to start. Those three house guests we have, they've invited us to a barbecue.
1: Well, that's fantastic because uh, I love a good barbecue, especially, uh, you know, when I'm watching some fall football and uh, as long as uh, as long as the, the the beer is good, you know, and the barbecue is good, it almost leaves you thinking oh, I don't really care who wins the game. But that's not true.
0: Yeah. Well, I do have some bad news for you. Okay. One, the barbecue is taking place in a closed space, so there might be a bit of smoke, and also. Captain Archer's iPad, he only has water polo on it, so we're going to have to watch water polo. I hope that doesn't mm. bring the excitement level down too much for you.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I guess that's okay. If that's all we got, it's better than, you know, movie night.
0: So, <laughs> movie night on an iPad stuck to the wall. In a
1: I mean, who's picking these movies space. anyway?
0: That's what I want to know. Someone in the licensing department to make sure they can keep the budget down. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone. Today we are going to visit the catwalk, the twelfth episode of season two of Star Trek Enterprise, as we continue our twentieth anniversary rewatch. Here's a quick rundown of the episode. What looks to be an exciting field trip to a life-filled planet is cut short before it begins when the Enterprise encounters a ship carrying three aliens with an urgent request. A neutronic storm is about to sweep through the system, and they'll die if they don't get out of the area right away. Or so they say. Escape means going to warp 7, only the Enterprise tops out at warp 5. What to do? Bunk up in the warp nacelles, of course. The shielding should be enough to keep everyone safe from the radiation for 8 days, Phlox agrees, plus... It's a great place for a barbecue. But as Mother always said, don't leave the front door unlocked and don't leave your starship unattended, because you never know who might come in while you're away. The Enterprise gets surprise visitors amidst a terrible storm, and a race ensues to take back the ship before the crew gets fried. And it all happens in spacesuits. How exciting does that sound, Matthew?
1: Well, it is it is definitely exciting. Uh, I mean, I love a good spacesuit adventure, and <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, you know, I think this is an episode which um, is is really interesting because you know you mentioned this even before recording, and 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 there seems to be this bag of tropes that Star Trek has used before to create this specific episode. You've got. A space storm and aliens that could possibly take over the ship. You've got aliens who may or may not be telling us the truth. You've got people learning about us through digging through our logs, and and don't then, forget you know, the classic
0: got... aliens who are chasing their own people who are wanted for yes. a crime yes. or in this or case, desertion. Crime. Yeah, something. yeah. Right.
1: So, especially since we don't really know who we're supposed to trust in all of this. So, you know, I, I think. It's, it's really interesting that, that you had said that, because I honestly, watching the episode, I've never even thought about it in that way, which is maybe strange. And I think, to me, it's because what they do with these tropes is create something that we haven't really seen, which is they're utilizing the fact that this is the first, you know, time and space like this is the first warp five ship and all of that to create a story that you couldn't actually do really in one of the other series at Mm -hmm. least the way it's written here wouldn't make sense at all and so uh, i i feel like they created a really nice why for all of those things to happen um and it to me it's still an episode that i feel like really does hold up even though a lot of this feels familiar if you if you think about it, you know, for more than a few minutes.
0: Right, right. Yeah, they the Neutronic Storm itself has been used before, or mentioned before mm-hmm. anyway, a couple times in Voyager. We've had the episodes where, like, the whole crew has to go into some kind of stasis, and one person, in the case of Voyager, it was seven, has to see the ship through some kind of space anomaly or something that they, uh, in the same case as here, they can't go around, right? They have to go through it, which is another of those things in Star Trek. I know you could argue that things stretch for too many light years and it's hard to go around, but so often in Star Trek, at least what's visually portrayed is there's this ribbon of something coming towards us or we're Mm -hmm. headed towards it, and we can't go up and over it or down and under it. We've got to fly straight through it, right? And so they carried mm-hmm. that through, right here. Uh, as we're recording this, Larry Nemecik he was headed to Las Vegas for the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, and he tweeted that he's stuck in the, on the highway and the traffic's backing up, and then his delay's getting longer. And I told him, you know, stop thinking in two dimensions. Just go <laughs> over it. But apparently that seriously is not possible on the surface of the earth.
1: yeah, no, it's it's unfortunately <laughs> not the case here. you know uh your even your your three dimensional thinking won't really help you uh, in that and uh, until maybe I guess we create flying cars um, yeah. and then it's a whole other mess. but can you imagine you know, I, I with think... all
0: the bad drivers what it's gonna be like when we're <laughs> flying everywhere? Oh my gosh.
1: No, no, I can't. I hope well, those I cars come it's, with shields. You know, <laughs> yes, I, um, I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, a lot of damaged homes. Uh, oh but yeah, that's a that's a whole other podcast. Uh,
0: you know, I, I think oh, that's our that's our new HGTV <laughs> podcast we're going to do together. Damaged homes. <laughs> uh, we're branching out. <laughs> we're taking this whole expanding the network beyond Star Trek thing to the extreme.
1: Yes. Extreme damaged homes. Uh, That's what we're going to call it. Um, You know, you got to put that in there somewhere. So people want to watch. But I mean, you know, two, one of the things that I think, again, makes this feel more legitimate is the sense that this this storm is big enough especially for uh, a ship that can only go warp five. Yeah, You know, if if they could go warp seven, these aliens said, they could outrun the storm. And I I think one of the ways in which they kind of deal with the trope that you talked about is that because of some quote-unquote fancy flying from Mr. Mayweather, they are actually out of the storm earlier than they thought they were going to be. So there is this idea of like, you know, you can get up or over or around or, you know, all this with the storm, but it, it takes time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I really, I liked that. And then of course, when you're in the storm, you couldn't go to warp one cause you're in the, you know, in the cells. So that, that puts a damper on that really, uh, unless you, you know, want deep fried crew oh, for man. dinner, uh, <laughs> Is that on the uh, menu
0: at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company? I was just there last week. I don't think so. I I don't think so. I I I don't know. You'd
1: have to go to Cisco's Creole Kitchen, uh, you know, (laughs) and uh, see if that's what they're serving up. Well, Um, you know what? That actually...
0: I hear that deep fried crew is extra delicious with some Ketrasil white hot sauce on it.
1: It absolutely is. Uh, Just ask Mariner. Um, So, uh, But... I, again, I think it's one of those places where, I, to me, this has always been a standout episode of Enterprise, and, and part of it was the way in which they were utilizing the series that, as created yeah. to then bring in tropes that work when put together in this manner uh, because it makes more sense where we are in the timeline of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it was just a uh, an interestingly crafted in- episode then because of all of that.
0: Right. Well, the radiation threat is a key part of that, right? And it's said that the way the story came about is Mike Sussman read an article about how astronauts going to Mars would have to deal with a lot of radiation. And then he thought, well, you know, the Enterprise crew, they probably have to deal with this as well because this is not the Enterprise D and even the Enterprise-D, you have to deal with radiation threats sometimes, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the future starships are are purely safe from this kind of stuff. But a ship like the Enterprise probably would have a lot of the same risks that our current spacecraft technology has. It be, would be better, but mm-hmm. uh, it's still going to uh, not be able to withstand something like this storm. And so... The idea, and we've seen this in other space films, right? The idea that the crew needs to take shelter in a certain part of the ship that's more heavily shielded to get through a solar burst from the sun, a solar flare, a radiation burst or something. So that made a lot of sense. And the way they sprinkled the episode with dialogue about how the Vulcans had encountered a storm like this, Travis mentioned that they had encountered... A storm, not as bad as this one, but they had to be down there for, what, six weeks hiding from the storm. I thought that they presented this in a realistic way that, yeah, these things happen in space. They're not all over the place, but you're going to encounter them from time to time. And if you're in these early days of space travel, you're going to have to figure out how to cope with them. And this was the first experience that humans had with anything like this. And then... They have to use their ingenuity to figure out how to try to make it through, and also to Paul, we talk about her growing understanding of humans. She knew not to tell them that that Vulcan ship had been completely lost because it might lessen their spirits or their motivation. She kind of knew how to encourage them to find a solution.
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, think that's a uh, that's a really key point um, because it makes me wonder then, you know, because of this moment, do future starships that are built, you know, have more of that type of uh, shielding component mm-hmm. on larger portions of the ship? Does it, is it the whole ship that we're going to do that to, Or do we have specific compartments like maybe the shuttle bay or something like that, that we, you know, use this lining Material for so that if this happens, you have the opportunity then to have a larger area that would be more comfortable for the crew Mm -hmm. if this kind of thing happens. So, you know, it's kind of something that I wish might have been revisited in the future with Enterprise, but Mm -hmm. just alone, like you said, this is a great question that kind of comes from actual things that happen now. That you just kind of extrapolate then. And, and so, you know, thinking about those type of things. I mean, I was just thinking about growing up in the in the tornado alley yeah. in the United States. Um, this is a big thing where people would legitimately have storm shelters, right? Mm-hmm. And you only see those in specific areas of the country uh, because of the type of storms that come where, you know, you have massive uh, twisters you get that. The only way to really stay safe is in a storm shelter that's underground. You know, this yeah. is kind of that whole idea. So I I love that enterprise is playing with this idea because again, where you are in the timeline where it's easy to create the situation where, yeah, we're just not advanced enough to have really done this, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to even really have necessarily thought about this until we are smack dab in the middle of it.
0: Yeah. I have an idea. You notice how nacelles tend to get a bit larger as starship development progresses in Star Trek. Maybe someone decided that instead of putting extra shielding in other areas, let's just make the catwalks a little bit larger. And then, because (laughs) I live in Tokyo, I came up with this idea, let's line the walls of the catwalk with little capsule hotel pods so people can can just slide in there like we would in Tokyo in a capsule hotel, and and those pods have extra radiation <laughs> shielding.
1: All I'm thinking of is that's why the JJ verse. Uh, that's what I'm you know, thinking Kelvin of. Yeah. Timeline nacelles are so big. You that's know, why just, the like, big bulge is there. Yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's man. a capsule Please hotel. do started on
0: how stupid those are.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! It's a well,
0: capsule hotel for radiation storms. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, you you had also brought up, you know, this this is about the early days of space travel. And, and this whole thing, I think, is just, I mean, Mike Sussman reading that article and then bringing that to Enterprise is, I think, just a perfect example of a lot of the type of stories that Enterprise can do that you can't do in other series. Mm -hmm. And this is a a story, yes, I mean, you know, I know we've done this kind of like in Voyager with that episode where Seven's kind of by herself that whole episode and everything. But I think that this is, what makes it work as well is that this is a story that continues a thread that's been working throughout the entire first season and now into the second season, which is, how this crew comes together and part of this episode is when you're that close together you know in in many ways this episode has more relevance now i mean you know so many of us spent 2020 and 2021 in close confines with people much more than we have in the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. uh and you know you start to get on each other's nerves you know you, you you uh things uh tempers start to flare and nerves begin to fray and the whole that that's what part of this episode is about you know is is dealing with the super close quarters and is it going to bring the crew together or is it going to kind of create ripples and Mm -hmm. so to me that's a great thing to kind of
0: put this crew through Mm
1: -hmm. at this point to see okay can 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 they withstand the pressure
0: yeah I think that for that element of the episode to work as well for me, I have to really remember how long they are in the catwalk because the compressed Mm -hmm. nature of the story, because we have 44 minutes to tell the story, it feels like Malcolm and Trip in particular become snappy with each other much more quickly than I would expect them to as people sure. who are senior officers on the ship, who are trained as Starfleet officers, who are otherwise friends, and so forth. But if you remember how much time is actually passing for them, you know, maybe... And I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly at that point in the episode how much time had passed. I don't it's even know like It's almost like a week. Yeah. Well, they're in there I mean, for eight days, roughly eight days. But the moment where yeah. they're playing cards and they start getting snappy with each other. I don't know if it's specified how long they've been in there, but let's assume it's they've been there for three or four or five days, maybe five days, then yeah, it makes sense that they would be getting a little bit on edge at that point. And, and I can see like if you're starting to feel stressed like Trip, you're starting to feel a bit, little bit on edge and you're an engineer and you did your best in four hours to prepare this area for everyone, and you've got Malcolm complaining about not having a shower, then yeah, you'd probably get kind of snappy about that, even if it was your best mm-hmm. buddy saying it, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's uh, part of that too is, is you know, you hold, you deal with the whole thing that, what is it, you know, you're only three meals away from total annihilation or whatever. I think mm-hmm. the, the phrase goes something like that. Bad paraphrase, but you know, you're you're kind of getting to that point here where it's it's the same food all the time, you know, uh, and you're you're losing a lot of the creature comforts, like being able to take a shower, be clean, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's no space, you know, all of that stuff begins to get on your nerves, and it again, you you create that situation where okay, is the crew going to find a way to come together or? are they going to find a way to just kind of tear each other apart? And I think what this episode does is it allows them to ride the wave together, you know? Like, there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows in this, but they they kind of find a way to, I think, come closer together. And, and one of the things is, you know... The very end of the episode, where To Paul is watching the movie with the crew because mm-hmm. she's got nothing else to do, and you know she's following the story where they aren't necessarily. Um, and then Trip invites her to to come to movie night, you know, and he would love to see her there, and mm-hmm. so you get this whole moment of it's a character moment between them, but it's a growth moment for To Paul herself, where she kind of, I think. The way Jolene plays it is so perfect because she kind of stops and then she gets that look on her face like, I might actually enjoy going to movie night, Mm -hmm. you know, and a thing that she probably thought she would never be interested in, right? you know, but now that she's experienced the experience, it is something that speaks to her. And so I just think those are the little moments that happen all throughout this episode with these these characters that i think make this uh, a a story that is fun not only to watch obviously the first time but it's a fun episode to just kind of pop in and rewatch because of these things that happen
0: Mm -hmm. maybe she's thinking i want to go so i can observe the humans and see how long it takes them to figure out the plot that's so obvious and (laughs) why exactly why Why can't they see it (laughs) what's happening
1: isn't it isn't it like that though? I have, have you ever watched a movie with somebody who just like, yeah, they're asking you questions the whole time, and you're like, "Are you paying attention at all?"
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I did that uh, watching this episode to prepare for this podcast. In fact, yeah, <laughs> and I, I finally said, "I'm not going to answer your questions during the episode. Just watch, and you will find out." <laughs> but um. But movie night plays into another element of this story, which is great, which is bringing the crew together, and that's something that Archer tells to Paul is a positive about the situation: is that it is bringing the crew together. It's something you can do on the NX-1 because the crew is so small, compared with the ships that we get later, particularly when we get into like TNG and the Enterprise D. But here, you do have a small crew; everybody knows each other. And bringing them all into a space like this gives them an opportunity to bind in a difficult situation. And I think that that is uh, another realistic element to Enterprise. Like we talked about the radiation threat. We talked about how to deal with these unknowns in space. And then also having the crew come together to work more, as a team, the the standout moment, and this ties into the other point that we have on the outline, which is Archer as a nurturing captain. The moment that always stands out to me in this episode is when the crew member who's doing the crossword puzzle asks Archer for the clue. And the exchange, the way that Scott Bakula delivers his line so gently and with care to someone who is an ensign or a crew member. I have to go back and check to be sure. But her expression too, the way that she played it, of being kind of in awe that the captain is taking the time to be so kind to her and to answer her question. All of this, I think, highlights how this episode shows the reality of a small crew like this at this point in space exploration.
1: Yeah, I do. I love that scene because it tells us so much about Archer as a person. And even though it's a small crew, and he, you know, probably knows everybody's name, it doesn't mean that he interacts with them on a daily basis. And so this really puts everybody in a situation where you are interacting with everybody that you might not normally interact with. I mean, you know, there is still a lower decks Mm -hmm. on Enterprise. Uh, and so I I really did like that scene. And, and absolutely, I think, you know, the interaction that this person has had with the captain has been probably so minor, if any at all. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think there is that moment where you're like, oh, the captain is talking to me. And, and so but it, I, I just think it shows his willingness to be the leader that they all need uh, and to put himself in their position. And, you know, all of them, many of them are probably scared as to what yeah. might happen because this is an unknown situation. You know, I mean, they truly are going where no one has gone before in this Um, except for what we learned from T'Pol where the ship was destroyed. Uh, and so, you know, it would be kind of a terrifying situation, much like being in a storm shelter when a massive F5 tornado is going over you, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, you know, I, I think that that's such a beautiful moment, um, at the same time, you know, you also get the the moment where Archer is slightly annoyed at Paul, and Paul yeah. is slightly annoyed at him, and and so you kind of even see that, you know, where it's like, but their realness with each other leads to them having an interesting conversation, you know, yeah. and and so, I, I it's it's all of these little nuances that took all of the things that we mentioned at the beginning where, yeah, you could call that a trope, but how you package it and then how you deliver it as an actor makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this is one of those places where I think the crew and the cast really shine through because the little moments you get with like Hoshi in the episode with the captain, the little moments um, that you have with like, Travis and him kind of reacting to the way in which the captain praises him
0: to everybody on the, you know, giant Anthony Montgomery. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So
1: I think all of that stuff speaks volumes for a script that in the hands of a lesser cast or or even maybe even just a lesser writer here, I think would have, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, been really different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we keep talking almost every episode recently about how T'Pol and Archer are growing closer. And the scene here, I always feel like they're like a married couple in the bed. Am I bothering you? Am I bothering you? Like someone's yeah. reading, someone got the phone, it's always something. They're further apart, of course, but it, it has that feeling to it. And you can tell like the relationship has become a lot closer. They're a lot easier with each other at this point. And the Mm -hmm. funny thing is that T'Pol doesn't want to say anything because she's bothered by the smell of Porthos. And she doesn't want to say anything, so she stays quiet. But then Archer, he doesn't mind letting her know that, yeah, your little beeping is bothering me. And that's the other question. Why doesn't Starfleet put a silence button on these pads? You know, if that were an iPad, you could just slide the little button And it wouldn't make beeping noises every time you tap (laughs) something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're it's she's apparently to is is a person who still has the clicks on their, you know, their keyboard on their iPhone that you're like looking at like, what
0: is wrong with you? Well, I'll tell you. So Japan, you know, the culture in general is very polite. People are always concerned for the most part about bothering someone else, disturbing someone else. Of course, there are outliers, but overall, people are like that, very considerate of others. And on trains, because we go most places by train here, we don't drive nearly as much as in the U.S., you're not supposed to use your phones on the train, like to have a phone conversation. And you're Mm -hmm. supposed to silence your devices so it doesn't bother other people. And yet there are always those few people who have the ringer on, and even if they don't, mm-hmm. they won't have a phone conversation on the train, but they won't silence the ring or put it into a uh, buzzing mode, right? It's just funny. And so this is kind of the same thing here. Topol's one of those people, I guess, who's like, I'm going to leave all the sounds on. Yeah. And you're probably right. She probably <laughs> does have the clicky keyboard on as well, right? So Everything she types yeah. is going. <laughs> Which is terrifyingly awful. Yeah. So, But talk about being scared in this storm that comes through with hoshi again a little bit which is something that we talked about a few episodes ago with hoshi overcoming the fears that she showed in the first season and doing a pretty good job of of at least giving the appearance that she's overcome them but she's understandably nervous in this storm and it mm-hmm. reminded me of i used to live in reno and in reno e- even if it's not at ground level snowing uh, as you come in over the Sierra Nevadas, uh, it's often snowing up at high altitude, and the and Reno is in a, a valley just right. It's like a straight dive off of the mountains, and the airport you have to descend very quickly to land at the airport in Reno. And I remember I used to come back from business trips and such, and I would be coming in, and the plane. We're we're descending through a snowstorm, quickly descending, and the plane is just shaking and shaking and shaking. And you feel like, are we going to actually land? Because then you come down the runway and they have to stop quickly as well. So they're slamming on the brakes. It's the scariest airport I've ever had to land in. But anyway, being in a storm like this and thinking about memories of something like that, I can totally put myself into the shoes of of these people who were stuck mm-hmm. in the small space. They can't move on their own very much and feeling uncertain.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the other thing that makes this work is that the production design is phenomenal for the catwalk. And so I, I think that was something that in the shot selection of, you know, making things feel claustrophobic by the way that you're shooting uh, the scenes, which is really well done. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's one of the things that really helps bring you into the episode, uh, which is, you know, uh, that's a really important choice. Like, uh, you know, you need to you you need to be doing those things to to bring everything together. So it's the writing and the acting And then how you shoot this type of episode that really sets it apart or it can make it feel like, eh. And I think Mm -hmm. this one transcends that, right? Because of the choices that they make on every single level that raises this from just being an okay episode to an episode that I would say is pretty great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And in that cramped space, I like there's a little bit, you know, there's, Humorous moments in here to kind of lighten the the mood a little bit. And one of them is the barbecue that the three aliens have. It's funny, but it also reminds me that you do have people like that. I remember my first year in university at the University of Alabama. I lived in this dorm, a 13 story dorm. It was famous for having false fire alarms, but sometimes they were legitimate because one time these guys. You're from the South, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know those smokers with the dome on top and you like slow cook the meat with Mm -hmm. hickory chips, you know, for like 10 hours?
1: It's amazing.
0: Well, some guys in my building decided to use one in their living room. And they were smoking meat in their living room, and there's smoke pouring out from underneath the door, the crack of the door to the room, and of course the fire alarms go off and all. And I always think of that experience when I watch this episode and these aliens are doing the barbecue in the catwalk.
1: Ah, but great sausage, you know, so.
0: (laughs) All right. So, last thing to cover before we wrap up here. I find it interesting... That we've spent half an hour talking about this episode, and we have never mentioned the aliens that come aboard the ship and that take over the ship and the firefight in the kitchen to get the ship back and all the the trips around the ship by trip in the spacesuit and so forth. And that's what drives the story, but it really is just there to give us all the other elements, don't you think?
1: No, I, I I do agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that if, if you wanted to make this episode, like, say, I think the perfect episode, I think one thing that you do is it would be nice if you just have it a little bit longer so you could mm-hmm. tweak some of that stuff where you really learn who these aliens are um, on both sides. Right. The ones that we're harboring unintentionally and then the ones that are after them because you know it it does uh, you get the feeling like you know they're this militia so that they are probably you know extra military organization on their planet possibly Mm -hmm. and all this stuff so you get all of these feelings about them that just come from the words that are used to describe them um, and then of course the actions that they're taking but it does leave you desiring more I think Um, And so, you know, I I think, if anything, that's just one place where this episode could have benefited from, say, how we do streaming now, where, you know, an episode can be five minutes longer to allow for that kind of um, storytelling possibility. Mm. Uh, You know, I think they absolutely do... Kind of the best job you can with the time that they're given because of this type of episode and what it is and everything. But I do think you know, yeah, this, you could absolutely it could be ten minutes longer, and you'd just be like, oh, that's that's great, you know. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, I think it's fine for me the way it is because I really feel the point in the episode is everything that we discussed today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. oh yeah these aliens are just here to put the crew in that situation. But I can Mm -hmm. also see some viewers watching it and feeling shortchanged by, or feeling like these aliens are too generic in their presentation. And, you know, when you're watching for a while, you're thinking, well, how can they be in the storm and they're fine and they're in this little ship Mm -hmm. and they don't have any problems? And then there's just that one line about, oh, they're immune to the radiation. And then that raises all kinds of questions too. Like how did they develop immunity to radiation in a neutronic storm that's just floating through space, right? So it's just kind of a quick way to, I think in the writing to allow that aspect of the story to work, but it it leaves Mm -hmm. you with questions that, yeah, if you had five or 10 more minutes, maybe you could flesh that out in a way that felt more complete. Yeah,
1: 100%.
0: No, I 100% agree with you. So, All right. Well, what are your final thoughts, and what's your rating for this one?
1: I mean, I really like this episode. It's always been a personal favorite of mine uh, from when it first Arrived, you know, when it first premiered, uh, and you know, even till now, I just I think that it is a great episode of Enterprise. I think they do a really good job with it in a way that creates something that um, helps us to be able to really spend time with these characters and enjoy these characters, know these characters more, and that makes for a, a lot of fun. In all honesty. So I I really appreciate uh, absolutely what they do uh, in in the episode. I, I think it really is fantastic, and I I I don't really think that there's anything other than what I mentioned about you know the fact that if you if you could have possibly made this episode a little bit longer, other than that, like I, I think that this episode is just kind of everything you want, uh, and so I I I think it's it's great. I love it, and I would give this episode four and a half out of five barbecues.
0: All right, sounds good. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to what I've already said. I agree, it's a, it's a great episode for the character development uh, for the crew instead of just a few characters mm-hmm. at this point, and a great realistic presentation of where we are on the timeline. It's fun that we get to see Chef, it's the only time yeah. we see Chef yeah. on screen, in fact. And we, of course, only see him from the waist down. And I also love that there's a lot of Porthos in this one. He gets a lot of screen time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of my favorite parts of Enterprise. So I really love that. I'm going to give this one eight storage lockers converted into latrines. Nice. Which sounds like a bad rating, but it's actually a good one because, you know, you never want to have to go look for
1: a dream. No, you do so. not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We would love to hear your thoughts on the catwalk. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Of course, the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. It's a closed group. So if you're joining for the first time, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum. So that I can let you in, let us know that you heard about it on Warp Five, and to find it, just type Babel B A B E L into the search field. It should come right up. If not, type the Babel Conference, the full name. And if you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website Trek.fm/contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp Five, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And in social media, you can find us everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Our username is TrekFM. And we'd love to hear from you there. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating or a review, we would love to get that from you as well. Let us know what you think about the show. Let others know about the show. Help them find our Enterprise Rewatch. Now, Matthew, when you're not doing your little turn on the catwalk, you know what I mean, your little (laughs) turn on the catwalk, where can people find you?
1: Oh my gosh, Chris, I cannot believe you brought that up. But uh you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing02. Uh of course uh Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those types of places there online, you can find me. Uh, of course, you can also find me here on the network uh, doing a bunch of shows. Uh, one, we have an entire side of the network that's not devoted to Star Trek, and that is called the Six Hundred Two Club. Uh, and yes, of course, we're thinking about adding, uh, you know, uh, disastrous makeovers from alien disasters, you know, or uh, just flying cars. So, damaged uh, houses. HGTV exactly. this fall. Exactly. So, uh, but you can find us talking about all of those franchises that we love uh, that are outside of Star Trek. So, just hope that you will check that out. Of course, you can also find me doing literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Chris, you and I do The Orb. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Then we're over on The Artificial Tango talking about Star Trek Picard and Saddle Up. <laughs> talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I do have a couple of shows. One is completed. I did that with Drea Kaufman, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then over on uh, that network, you'll also find me with John Mills talking about Star Wars each and every week on aggressive negotiations. Now, Chris, when you're not trying to find a shower, where can people find you?
0: Yeah, I, I'm i really upset that Tripp didn't think about that. I mean, what was what was he doing? Four hours, plenty I, of time yeah, to put in a shower. Totally <laughs> inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. But you can find me elsewhere on the network. As you mentioned, you and I do a lot of shows together, so you can catch me on those. You can find me in many episodes of a lot of shows in the back catalog, including the early years of this show. And also, Larry Namachek and I do The Ready Room from time to time, and we do have a new episode out recently, so check that out. And if you'd like to chat with me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is c brian jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active. And I'd love to chat with you there. And if you would like to help us keep the network, everything that we've talked about, all these shows going, we could definitely use your help to find out how to get involved and support the network. Visit Patreon.com/slash TrekFM. That's P A com E O N.com/slash TrekFM and we send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us right now. We would not be here without you, seriously. So thank you so much for your help. Well, Matthew, I hope you've got your sunscreen ready, because we may sweat a little bit next time as we talk about Dawn.
1: Well, Chris, you know, I'm always ready for a good suntan, so let's go.